or version, physical or digital, um, please do uh, find that. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible if you want to, if that's to do with paper versions, it doesn't really matter, does it, on digital? Uh, you just pick it up on the screen. Psalm 1 is, uh, this is a message that is continuing uh, our Growing in Christ series. And uh, Psalm 1, it's pretty obvious, is the first psalm in the book of Psalms or the Psalter. And the psalms are hugely significant. Uh, I remember hearing at, after the Queen's death, Queen Elizabeth, uh, and in all that comment and uh, insight that we were given over those days, someone mentioned that the Queen in her um, times regularly in worship services, wherever she would go each Sunday by Sunday, and I'm sure at t- other times, uh, in, in the liturgies that were read, the scriptures, often there would be a reading from Psalms. And I was heard really struck that she was able to pretty much recite from memory the Psalms as they were read, all 150 of them. It's amazing. I mean, that's many years in services hearing the Psalms. I don't think she was religious, but had discovered something really profound about this particular book. Obviously, it seems a big feat, but the queen was following in a significant tradition in faith life. These 150 songs are are prayers, some of them beautiful and magnificent, some of them challenging and disturbing. But the Psalms are really important. Interestingly, they, they form the center of our scriptures, both in terms of the center chapter and the center verse of, of the whole of the Old and New Testament. And indeed, I don't know if you knew this, but the, new, the, the Psalms are the most quoted in the New Testament out of any of the Old Testament scriptures, both by Jesus and the other New Testament writers. Not only are they the songs and prayers of the people of God, but they also speak very much about who God is and his plans and purposes and what it looks like to be part of his people. As such, they are rich in theology, they are rich in insight, and they very much do help us to grow in Christ. I wonder, are they part of your devotional life? Have been, or maybe continue to be? I do hope so. Eugene Peterson, who uh, was the the translator of the message version, written many uh, good uh, kind of books and really helpful insights. He says about the Psalms in particular, I need a language that is large enough to maintain continuities, supple enough to express nuances across a lifetime that brackets child and adult experiences, and courageous enough to explore all the countries of sin and salvation mercy and grace, creation and covenant, anxiety and trust, unbelief and faith that comprise the continental human condition. Where will we acquire a language that is adequate for these intensities? Where else but in the Psalms? For women and men who are called in the community of faith, apprenticeship in the Psalms is not an option, it is a mandate. Growing in Christ. Just as an aside, I'm really thankful for Sally and all the worship bands and musicians. And it's so lovely to hear everyone singing this morning in in worship. Beautifully sung. Thank you. It's really important just before we, we launch into Psalm 1 particularly, that our faith following Jesus is a singing faith. 
Did you know that? Not rocket science this morning, is it? It is a singing faith. Sometimes visitors to our church and other churches wonder why we sing so much. It's a little bit abnormal apart from the football terraces or in the shower, perhaps. But it's really biblical to sing. Again and again, we're reminded to sing psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. The psalms, all 150 of them, are probably in some form or another set to music. We don't have the melodies anymore, but we take their inspiration. I love the story of someone who once uh, went to a church, didn't have any background in faith, was first time coming to church, and was really upset that there was so much singing. He kind of stood amongst the congregation and didn't know the words, didn't know the tunes, and kind of felt very out of it. So went home and thought, I'm not going to a church like that again. I just felt really embarrassed. Went to Google, typed in, find me a church that doesn't sing. No results came up. He thought, well, I'm going to have to suck that one up and go back to that church. And discovered over time the reality of Jesus, put his faith in him and became a passionate singer, worshiper of Jesus. Growing in Christ is a singing faith. A personal relationship with God involves singing and praise. And as such, we have Psalm 1, the opening psalm of 150, just as a gateway or as a springboard to help us in this series in Growing in Christ. So follow with me, please, if you can, on the screen and uh, whichever version you have. Psalm 1. Blessed or blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's a bit of a, uh, a shopping frenzy due by the end of the week, Black Friday. And as we know, Christmas is on the way. And as such, you may do a little bit of, of um, online shopping or visit a, a real place. But I suspect many of us, if we were going to do that, before we would do so, maybe find out something about the purchase that we're going to make. In other words, we might go and find a review or look at a rating. They're so important. Is the thing that I'm looking at worth its money or is it a bit of a sham and a charade? Ratings are so important. Whether it's a new appliance or you're going to make an online purchase, or even if you want to buy a book, the review on the back, the blurb is really interesting. Or if you're going to see a, a, a show at a theater, you've got those little tiny truncated words and stars after it. Have you, do you know what I mean? Most amazing. Five stars. Rubbish. Don't touch it with a bar pole. Half a star kind of thing. You know what I mean. 
Book reviews. I, I always like going to a bookshop, or if I'm uh, buying a book, I like to uh, see how it's reviewed, whether by those who've read it or by those who have endorsed it. On my sabbatical recently, I read a really excellent book. It was, and I agree with the, uh, the reviewers. Uh, it was a book called God of Justice and Mercy, a Theological Commentary on Judges. Yeah, stand silence on that one. <laughs> You're thinking that's not on my Christmas reading list. Anyway, I, the re- it was uh, someone I met at, uh, when I was studying over in, in Regent College. But the book had a foreword by Justin Welby. Not too bad in my, uh, uh, in my book. You may have difference of opinion on that. Uh, but on the back, and I know this isn't really going to get much traction with you, but if you have any aware of theological literature, it did float my boat and tick some boxes. It was endorsed by Walter Brueggemann. Yeah, you, you don't know any of these, do you? Uh, a guy called Walter Mobley. Or Paula Gooder. No, she's, the, uh, she's a writer. She used to be in Birmingham. Uh, she's now um, a theologian in residence at St. Paul's. What about uh, the Thursday Murder Detective Club? Yeah, a few, that's a little bit more down your street, isn't it? But it's on, you get my point. They're on the back, how it's reviewed and who's endorsed it matter. They give you insight and guidance uh, of what's best to spend time with it. Is it worth it to invest in? Maybe you're going to go and visit a hotel or a bed and breakfast or an Airbnb, and you kind of think, I wonder what it's like. You look at the reviews, the restaurant. Has it got the gold standard, five stars? Psalm 1, rest assured, has five stars. It is endorsed and speaks wonderfully about a way of life that is good, blessed or blessed. It says in the the life that we are given, the life that we live day to day, moment by moment. The life that we live moment by moment is worth living. But how we do that Do we want to to live a life that has five stars and is rated well, or actually in the grand summation of things would be less than one? Blessed. Blessed. That's the very first word out of these 150 songs, prayers, psalms. Blessed. Happy. Can you think of any other scriptures that begin with these words, not necessarily the start of a chapter, but the blessed, the blessed. You may be thinking of Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. But these words, this Beatitude, this sense of blessed or happy or this is good, crops up in all sorts of places in the Scripture. In other words, these are, uh, these are words that help us live the good life. In Psalm 1, we're told anyone who delights in the words... In the law of God, who meditates on it, studies, embraces it day by day, will be blessed, will be happy. The opening of this psalm, the opening of this strategic book, most quoted in the whole of the New Testament, is a beatitude. The opening, the gate, the salvo, the introduction, the overture. Not a prayer, not a song, but this statement of blessedness. The way life is lived in a way that is decisive and five stars of how it should turn out. Blessed is the one 
who? Psalm 1 is like a doorway opening up not only in the Psalms, but in our day-to-day living of what a blessed, happy life looks like. It's just worth holding that in, in context of, of this choice, this, this doorway, this impression, this statement right at the start of the Psalter and growing in Christ to, counter, to, to hold in counteraction and contrast what God asks of us of blessedness versus sometimes what we think of as blessed in other ways. If I was to ask you and to put your hands up or shout out some ways of, of how the world might uh, describe a blessed life, of what the world would, uh, would hold up and say, oh yeah, they, they are blessed truly. But Scripture would point in a very different direction. It always does. It points to Jesus. I came across uh, this um, way of describing it in a book by the person I read earlier, Eugene Peterson. He describes it like this. If you look at advertising and current events in the print and other media, for example, as you encounter them in the supermarket checkout, news agents and bookshops, or on television and radio, he wrote a little while ago in this book, so I'll add on social media and the internet here. He says, you might think the most unfortunate people, the least blessed, are the fat and the misshapen, the bald, the ugly, the old, and those not relentlessly engaged in romance, sex, and fashionably equipped physically, physical activities. The sad truth is that many people around us, and especially people in their teens and young adulthood, drift into a life in which being thin and correctly shaped, having glorious hair, appearing youthful, and so forth, are the only terms of blessedness or woe for their existence. It's all they know. They have heard nothing else. Many people today really are in this position. He calls that the silly side, but he goes on in a little prayer. And then he says this, then there are the seriously unblessed, the crushed ones, the flunk outs and the dropouts and the burned outs, the broken, the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant, too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled and the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and so on, and so on, and so on. The world would have us think blessedness is described in all those ways, or unblessed, or the woeful. And yet again and again, 25 times in the Psalms at least, this word crops up, the beatitude, blessed are those who. It's not about the outward form or shape or our prosperity or education level, but a deeper, deeper truth. The doorway to a blessed life, according to Psalm 1, are those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on His law 
day and night. Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The psalm, this doorway into life, experience in all its tapestry of challenge and heartache and joy, reminds us front and center to plant ourselves in a place to deepen our relationship with the Lord, the relationship for which each one of us were created and blessedness is there. And the psalm is real. Because it says there are two choices. Those who walk with the Lord in his ways. Or as Psalm 1 verse 1 describes it in three particular ways. Before he goes on to how, this is the way not to. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. Interesting, isn't it, of how it's walk, stand, and sit. Sometimes the lure of of things that draw us away from Jesus. We're kind of walking along and we take notice. Sometimes we stop and stand and observe. And before we know it too long, perhaps we are sitting in that place. The scriptures and particularly the Psalms help us to know the way of blessedness. It isn't with the wicked or the sinners or the mockers. But blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. In other words, in his word. They're like a tree planted by the stream, a life giving river. It yields fruit in season and and whose leaves don't wither, they are evergreen. In our green and pleasant land, we're used to the leaves falling and the the joy of autumn and the reds and the browns. It's part of our culture and our, our season. But in places where it's arid, you think back to the summer when we were desperate for rain and and some of the trees really struggling, maybe some won't make it. They weren't planted near water. Obviously, those places that are in in kind of very dry places and they have no uh, spring or water or or source very quickly will fail. But the illustration of this summer reminds us that even those grand and great trees that seem a fixed point, we've been in this journey for a long time and, and we are bearing fruit unless we are rooted in the water, the living water. Even those that seem magnificent can be brought to drought. of being desiccated. Not so those who are rooted and planted by the stream. I'm sure those of you familiar with parts of the scripture hear the resonances in that. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. One of those Deeply resonant images from Genesis of Ezekiel, Revelation chapter 22. Of abundance, Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, this is Paul praying, he 
The Lord may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. Jeremiah 17 Verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Blessed, remember, is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The Lord wants that for us. He wants that for you and me, for us as a church. How do we find that? It's really interesting if you read through the scriptures and find these words, the instances of blessed. It's not a prayer, it's it's a command. It's a declaration that there's blessedness. Start with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, but I've read the one from Psalm 34, from Jeremiah 17. There's others, 24 in the Psalms. That they give us clues and insights about the life, the five-star life that he would have us live. And they do involve choices and contrast. The righteous versus the wicked. Those who listen to God or to the world. Those living for ourselves or pursuing a friendship with God. Those established and fruitful and vibrant and living. Or like chaff. They throw it up, just blown to the four corners of the winds. In growing in Christ, I hope the scriptures matter to you. They do to us. Phil and I are really passionate about the Bible. We preach it a lot. I'm not doing 90 minutes and three points. But we preach from the scriptures because... They really are life and food and nourishing and like honey to our lips and, uh, and good food to our stomach. And we're, we're told as, uh, as people, we start off a bit like infants on milk, but he support, the Hebrews writer says, you know, we need to grow and, and desire, kind of crave that kind of solid food that the scriptures we never grow out of or grow beyond. We know there's a maelstrom in our world at the moment about whether we trust this or not. Even within the churches, blessed when we meditate, when we read. I wonder if you, you've picked up your Bible re- recently. I know many of you do, and hallelujah. Really, really hallelujah. I was so enriched and reminded on sabbaticals. I read through cover to cover again of, of the depth and riches and the, the insight and the help and the challenge that it brings. It spurs me on. But I've known right from the outset of my Christian journey, even before, that this is most precious. I'll give you two instances. When, um, when I was in Newcastle when I was 19, and um, I was being challenged about the gospel and Jesus. One of the things uh, that I really noticed with particularly some of my friends who were Christians, but one who was living on the same corridor in the hall of residence, we became friends, we'd have coffee and some beers and all that, and chat, and, you know. And, and I, I realized that 
he had a Bible, and it wasn't one of the Gideon's ones that was always there. It was his own, and it was a study Bible, and, and it was kind of used often. And I just thought, well, that's a bit weird. It's trained to be a medic. Why would you have one of those weird, dusty books? And at first, I thought it was a glorified uh, coaster, coffee cup holder. It was just by his bed, and there was a coffee cup on it. But then the next time we, we went, he, he'd moved, it was on his desk, and then the next time it was on the bed, and the next time it was, he, it was open, and I was like, it's not just a place to put something. He read it. And I was really vexed by it. I was like, what are you reading that old rubbish thing for? He said, no, it's not. It's full of life. We, and that provoked a whole lot of arguments, and you can guess the outcome of the story. And the weekend that I became a Christian in November, November the 10th, 1991, the Monday, it was a kind of Sunday morning, the Monday, this guy bought me my very first Bible. And uh, I still have it. And he wrote an inscription in the front. And I, I, he, I was like, all to dive into Genesis. And he said, don't start in Genesis. I tried that before. He said, start in, the, start in Matthew. I said, what about the old? He said, well, get to that later. Just start with Jesus. And I began to read it. I think in two and a half weeks, I'd read the New Testament. I didn't do much about sharks and plankton in that time. I was a marine biologist, just to put that in context. But I was like, oh, I love this. These scriptures are amazing. I also wanted to read it. I was passionate about it because I thought, if, I, if I'm carrying this label of a Jesus follower now, a disciple, a Christian, I want to know what I believe and why. I don't want to just take other people's words for it. Same, if you come to church on a Sunday and you hear uh, the preacher, Phil or I, or one of our, our guests from time to time, great, we really hope it speaks to you and stirs you. But don't just go away and say, well, I was told on Sunday. Obviously, that's helpful. But read it for yourselves. We're so privileged in this era that we have translations that are sometimes easier to read and sometimes harder. Find one that you can get on with and read it. That we can read it online, we can hear it in, in our vehicles or on our headphones, we can put it on the, on the smart speaker, or you can do it old-fashioned way and read it out loud uh, as you sit uh, somewhere on a bench or in your home. Please do meditate on it. Because it helps us, it deepens us, the Lord speaks to us. Uh, often we use this phrase of, um, I wonder what the Lord is saying, and that's right. And we, we listen to him and wait upon him and ask his Holy Spirit to help us. But also, bear in mind, what has the Lord said? What has the Lord said to us already in the Scriptures? That they are there as a great resource and the love letter of God and the inspiration for us as a people and persons to walk faithfully, to be blessed. The scriptures are powerful. I said I'd tell you two stories. I'm not so uh, proud of this second story. Uh, please don't send emails. Um, I went to do a wedding of, uh, of um, Sam Godey. He's our fr the son of our friend's partners in India. He now lives in America, and he was getting married to an American in Oklahoma. And uh, I'd hired a car in America. It was fun. They were getting married in Oklahoma in this little village, little town, rural Oklahoma. And um, I was driving there, and I remember it very clearly. I was driving. I, I, w I wasn't on the freeways. I meant to be, but on the sat-nav on the car, someone had tweaked the buttons, and they'd put the thing, don't go on freeways. 
didn't know that. So it routed me all the way through the, the, the little kind of byways and alleyways of, of Oklahoma. It's very flat and very windy. But I ended up going through this place, and it was lunchtime. And I was in my car, and if you've ever driven in America, uh, you know that the, the speed limits change. And I was going into this town, and there were lights flashing saying it was lunchtime at school. And it wasn't 35 miles an hour, it was 25. And I was kind of like driving along, and oh, it's a nice place. And I was decelerating, need to tell you that. But I wasn't at 25 when I passed the sign with the flashing lights. I was at 32. I was under the proper speed limit, but I wasn't following. So, lo and behold, rear view mirror, flashing lights. The policeman was coming. Cop. Seen so much of American things, I was like terrified. I'm going to get shot. I'm going to get arrested, never be heard of again. I'm going to be thrown in jail. Phil. <laughs> anyway, he pulled me over, and I thought I'd just got to sit there, and I kind of waited. And he came, you know, with all this stuff and sauntered over. And I was feeling a bit, oh. And I wound the window down. And he said, uh, do you know what speed you're going, sir? I went to the American accent. And I said, um, I think I was going about 30, 32, he said. And do you know that? It, and I said, yeah, yeah. He said, you were speeding. Can I see your uh, red, um, driving license? So I got my driving license. It was very friendly. They put me, put me at ease. Hands on the wheel. I gave him my driving license. He said, you're English. I was like, yeah, I probably could have spotted that if he was a good cop, but anyway, so uh, he uh, then wanted to see my passport, which was in the rucksack in the boot, and I was like, okay, um, can I get out of the car? Because I thought, I don't want to like, surprise him. So he said, yeah, get out of the car. So I got out of the car, opened the boot, and uh, the trunk, as it's called, just to be culturally and got out of my rucksack, and in the top of my rucksack was the Bible. <laughs> And he was being very observant, actually. He said, are you some sort of preacher man? I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> the shame. I said, yeah. He said, really? And then we started. He said, Where, why are you here? And I started, and he, I've got my passport out. And we had this great chat. And he said, I'm sorry, I've got to give you a ticket. And it's double because you sped in a, you know, in a school zone. And, I was like, and then he said, Where? and it was this tiny thing. And he gave me this ticket. And he said, I had to appear in court in like a month and a half. I said, I'm not going to be in America. He said, oh, you can go pay the fine at the town hall. So, the, you know, so I, I said, where is it? And he said, it's back there and to the right. So I got back in my car and I was like extra, extra cautious because he was following me. I thought, anyway, it was such a small place. Uh, uh, anyway, I, I paid the thing. What I, why I'm telling you this, and my friend uh, in, uh, in Newcastle, actually having this with us is... Blessed because we have at hand the most remarkable and insightful and powerful words that lead us to Jesus. But having it with us is also a demonstration that we value this. See, one of the things that really provoked me about my friend in Newcastle was the fact that I could see he was reading it. He didn't kind of do it like in, out, you know, in, in public and make a big song or dance, but I just knew it was part of his living. I wonder what impression we give to our families. I'm not saying this critically or to make you kind of squirm, but, but to say this, these 
Words in Scripture bring a blessedness in life. And they also implicitly will provoke questions of why do you read it? Why is it central to your life? Why is it a daily rhythm? There's a doorway then to speak. To say it matters. Maybe to be picked up on it and say, why were you speeding then? But actually, I do want for myself and for us that we would be like a well-planted tree that is noticeable and brings shade and life, that is fruitful and brings a beautiful part of our landscape of community. Why do we meditate on the law? Why is it important to read and engage with because it is a delight and we are concerned for it because the Lord uses it that it reaches us and touches us and shapes our human soul and life through it you may have noticed and I'm drawing to a close you may have noticed that we've got something coming up next week starting a course called depth and David is going to come up. He's been waiting all message for uh, being called apart. David, say again. You have. There we go. David and I are leading in something. There's lots of ways to read the Bible, just to start by doing it. As my friend said, start in Matthew and don't start in Genesis. It's not to say Genesis is bad. It's good. But if you're new to it, find, find a, an easy access point. But as I said in my message, that all of us are called to never grow beyond it. A, a, a phrase I really loved that I, I learned a long time ago. The Bible is like a pool in which a child, can, a, a, a child can wade and an elephant can swim. In other words, we never outgrow it. In other words, that right from the outset, or even if you're curious about this Jesus, dive into that. Because he will meet you through the scriptures. And as we journey through life, it will inspire in childhood and adulthood, as Eugene Peterson says. Now, we are trying to help us do something about this. What are we going to be doing, David, on Monday as a start? Uh, just as a preamble, I was thinking that you mentioned the Queen at the beginning of the thing. And uh, at her coronation, she was given a Bible, and she was with the words, this is the most precious thing that the world has to offer. And if we have a precious thing, we, you know, we want to use it and, and indulge in it. And what, we're, what we want to do is, is to give, give us all the tools to understand better. Um, you know, there are some parts of the Bible we find difficult. So how do we read those? How do we fit together? How do we, how do we read it better? How do we understand it better? And we, so we're starting next Monday, we have this course in which we're going to look at it. Um, and perhaps give you some of those, give people some of those tools to, to go deeper into the scriptures, to, to read it better, to understand it better, uh, to know it better, um, so that you don't get your exegesis mixed up with your hermeneutics. You know, we, we want to we we help you with that sort of stuff. We'll you know, explain what those words mean <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, so uh, just to go at a deeper level, just to understand this, this, this most precious thing that we have been given, the most precious thing that the world has to offer. Uh, how do we understand it? How do we, how do we read it? How do we 
um, how do we apply it? Um, so that's what we're going to be trying to do. Um, I'm really encouraged, we're really encouraged that uh, about three people joined in the queue while get, queuing for coffee. Three people said, we're, we're going to come. So, uh, so there's about 20 of us now already. Fantastic. So that's great. Great. So, so starting not this Monday, following Monday, um, Ellen High Street building. We'd Thank love you, to David. see you.